I'm excited that we're launching into a new series today in the new year, and the title of the series is I Dare You, not How Dare You, (laughs) that's a whole different series, I Dare You, I Dare You, and for the next several weeks, we're going to dare you and challenge you to step up in some different areas of your life and to take that risk and see what happens. I'm gonna dare you to invest in the next generation. I'm gonna dare you to love your uh, spouse and and love the Lord again. I'm gonna dare you in some different areas in your life. And it's gonna be fun. We're gonna walk through some of those challenges. But today I'm really excited because I'm a sports guy. Come on now. And I'm gonna dare you to get in the game. How many of you watched the game last night? Did the Warriors win? Oh, oh, there was another game? (laughs) yeah it's time we're all wanting to be in the game I was thinking about uh this idea of getting in the game I was remembering the first time I was on a team when I couldn't get in the game it wasn't the last time it's happened to me a couple times but I was on a team and I couldn't get in the game I was 10 years old and I was on the Wildcats baseball team little league And the Wildcats went down in history as one of the greatest Little League baseball teams anywhere on the planet in all time in Antioch, California in like 1990. We were undefeated. And not only were we undefeated, we were crushing people. We were one of those teams that other teams would just like forfeit because they didn't want to play against us. We had one game. It got into the paper. We won 42 to nothing in a Little League baseball game. I thought this first service, so I got to say it second service. I don't know if the Niners scored 42 points all year. We scored that in a Little League baseball game, right? And, you know, they're like, isn't there mercy rules? Yeah, you got to get to like the fourth inning for the mercy rule to kick in. We're talking like three innings of just murderous, murderous innings. 42 to nothing in a baseball game. Get out of here. So I'm on the Wildcats. Now, the year before, I was on the Cardinals, And I was a pretty good little baseball player. I was like a starting shortstop, pitcher, catcher, play the whole game kind of guy. I get to the Wildcats, dominant team. Now, there was a thing about the Wildcats I didn't know. You know, they just put you on whatever team. The Wildcats had five coaches for a Little League team. Each one of those coaches had one or two kids on the team. You know what happens when you got like eight out of nine positions filled by coaches' kids? The other four of us rotate two innings a game in right field. So here I am on the most dominant team I've ever been a part of. And I get two innings in right field and one at bat per Little League regulations. And the worst experience I ever had playing baseball was the best team I've ever been on. Because I never could get in the game and I couldn't understand. And my 10-year-old brain couldn't process that my dad wasn't coaching and that's why I wasn't on the team. My 11-year-old brain figured it out. My 11-year-old, when I got to be on another team and get in the game and I'm actually playing and the, uh, the coaches moved up with their kids and I'm playing against their team and we beat their team. Come on now. <laughs> Complete game, 151 pitches. I was not coming out of the game, 11 years old. <laughs> and, uh, and the coach came up to me. He's like, man, that was so great. And, you know, it was so great having you on the team. And I was like, I don't think I was even on your team. You don't even know my name. I think I got like 14 at-bats, one per game. So there's something about getting in the game that just inspires us and it's important to us and it motivates us. And there's something in us that dies a little bit when we're never in the game. So I was thinking about this amazing, incredible thing of getting in the game and it reminded me of one of my favorite movies of all time. And since I can do this, we're gonna watch a little bit of one of the greatest sports movies of all time. 
And it's about a young man who goes off to Notre Dame, and he's a walk-on. He wants to play football. And he attempts to make the team, and he walks on, and they let him on the practice squad, but they never let him dress into the game. And here's what happens after three years, almost four full years of wanting to be in the game. This is how his teammates react. Yeah. Well, hi, Roland. Come in. I want Rudy to dress in my place, coach. He deserves it. Don't be ridiculous. Georgia Tech is one of the top offensive teams in the country. You're an All-American and our captain. Act like it. I believe I am. Me too, coach. I'll ready to dress in my place. Coach, this for Rudy. It's for Rudy, coach. So to continue the story, Rudy walks on and basically is the team tackling dummy for three years, giving his heart and soul. The problem is he's vertically challenged like myself, so he's never going to be in a game at Notre Dame. And his, uh, he goes to his coach at the end of the season and says, listen, my family doesn't believe I'm on the team because they've never seen me on the sideline in a jersey. My friends don't believe I'm on the team. I just want an opportunity to, for them to know, is there any way? And his coach says, yes, you've earned it. You've poured your life into this dream. You've worked hard every day despite all the odds. You've earned it. And then in the offseason, his coach retires. And the new coach doesn't keep the promise. And so now it's the end of the season. It's the last game of the season. And his team has come together and said, he deserves this opportunity because of the desire that's in his heart. He deserves the chance to chase his dream. And I just don't think we can move any further in the service without seeing what actually happens. So take a look. I want to tell you, it's just occurred to me what the student body has been chanting for the last two or three minutes. It's the name Rudy. Dan Rudy. Senior, subject of a future article in yesterday's student newspaper, The Observer. After toiling for two years and partying right. the field and going to the kid!
<sighs> Should we watch it one more time? <laughs> Rudy, Rudy. Hey, I didn't dismiss the J-Hires. If they didn't leave, you guys can leave. I think they left, but uh, sorry about not dismissing you guys. <clears throat> but there's something powerful about getting in the game. And my challenge for you guys today as we start the new year is to dare to dream again and get back in the game. And I want to challenge you guys to have a dream. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Genesis chapter 37. And I'm going to walk us through uh, one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And I think I've walked us through this before, but, uh, but I love walking through this story because there's so much to pull out of there. And here's what I haven't done. I haven't gone line by line through the whole thing because it covers about 13 chapters and it would take me in months to do that. And someday we will because I love it and it's good stuff and we should do it. But I'm going to take us on a, on a run through. People ask me sometimes, Pastor Mike, how do you preach? Do you do, you do you know, line by line, book, book by book? Do you do topics? Do you, what do you do? And, you know, and I, I, yes, I do all of those things. I just do whatever the Lord calls to do in that environment. So today I'm going to do something a little bit different. If you're a note taker, you'll love today because I'm going to give you lots of notes that you can take and, and uh, capture. Uh, so uh, I believe that you should all be note takers. I had a pastor friend when I was growing up that used to always tell me, Mike, note takers are history makers. And so, uh, so you should be a, a note taker. That's a good thing. But I'm going to give you a bunch of words that start with the same letter this week. And so I don't hardly ever do this. Um, so some of you are like, oh, I, remember, I know this kind of teaching, but uh, because I want it to connect and I want you to catch it. And I also got to cover a lot of material and it lets me jump around. And so I'm going to do that. So I'm going to begin by just daring you to have a dream. Daring you to have a dream. I want you to have a dream. I don't want you to get derailed. I want you to dream. So I'm in Genesis chapter 37. And the first thing I want you to do is have a dream. I'm in Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse five. I'll wait for you guys to get over there. If you don't know where Genesis is, I'm really sorry. Come straight to the altar and we'll pray for you. <laughs> That's a challenging one to find. If that one's a challenging one to find, we got big, big problems. Right smack in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis. And there's a young man in our story named Joseph. And guess what Joseph had? All right. Joseph has a dream. And we're going to walk through his story a little bit here because I want you to see how to chase and pursue your dream. I want to dare you to get back in the game. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Whew, that's a great start to our story, isn't it? He had a dream. He had family. He got together with his family, and his family was like, uh-uh, we don't like your dream. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grave, grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and it stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. He's the youngest brother, by the way. He's going pretty big by letting him know his dream. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. Now listen, all throughout the scriptures, two dreams is usually significant. Whenever there's two dreams, look and see what God's doing. Two dreams is usually an indication that God is up to something. It, the, those dreams seem to come in pairs. You can study that. It's amazing. Then he had another dream, and he told this to his brothers. He said, listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. He said, what is this dream you had? 
Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down on the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but listen, his father kept the matter in mind. What struck me is I just read a story about a parent being surprised at a supernatural uh, statement about their kids and keeping that in mind. Because Mary hid and treasured those things in her heart after the angel Gabriel came and said, he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. But here's his father just keeping the matter in mind. And it begins with a dream and having a dream. Now, this is a very interesting dream that he has. Why does he have this dream? What's funny is this particular dream is all about protecting and advancing the cause of the people of God. And if you've got a dream that is going to invest in the people of God, you better believe that God's going to do some things to protect that dream for you. Now, what's fascinating is at this point, the people of God are basically Joseph, his brothers, his mom and dad, and their servants. There's about 70 people of God in the story at this point. The family, you know, it's a big Christmas, but it's not a nation. There's about 70 of them. What Joseph has no earthly understanding of at this point as the dream that he has is going to set the stage so that the people of God can get under the protection of God in the place where God's called them Egypt. And when they come out of Egypt, they're no longer 70. There's about 2 million of them that come out of Egypt. So here's the thing. Joseph has no earthly idea of the potential impact of his dream. Let me ask you this. Have you dared to dream? Do you understand the potential impact of dreaming? What God could be up to if you dream and believe that God could do something through your dreams? How do you know? How do you dream? How do we do this? God, Pastor Mike, I don't, I don't have a dream. Where do I start? Well, here's the thing. If you could do anything for God and you knew that thing could not possibly fail, what would you do? What would you do? If there was everything on the table, if you genuinely believed that everything was possible for him who believed, what would you do? Maybe that conversation can ignite the dream that's in you. But Joseph has a dream. Each of us needs a dream. This dream is critical because it supports him through the next season of his life and things are going to get bumpy. And if we don't start with the dream, if we don't start with a belief, if we don't start with an idea that there is a destiny in us, that God's called us to something, we won't have that anchor to sustain us through all the things that come. You need a dream. I dare you to dream. You see, he starts with a dream, but it doesn't take long until he meets his first dilemma. And every dream is going to face some dilemmas. What was his dilemma? It was verse 8. His family was like, hey, we hate you. <laughs> Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him. All the more, they're already hating on him because of this dream and what he had said. Let me start with this. You get a dream. Here's my first challenge. You better tell somebody your dream. Don't be burying your dream. Don't be hiding your dream. Don't be like, oh, I don't want to tell anybody my dream because then they're going to judge it and they're going to think I'm all high and mighty or they're going to think I'm arrogant. Or don't, get, don't, don't wrap your dream in some false humility. If you got a dream, you claim your dream. 
You have the courage, you have the guts, you have the conviction to declare, God spoke this to me, and I don't know what it all means. I don't have a full picture. There was like grain, and there was grain, there were stars, I don't know, but I just know God's given me a dream, and somewhere in that dream, it shows that I'm supposed to have some authority, and I'm supposed to do something that matters, and I want to move in that dream. You better have the courage and conviction to speak that. Put some teeth into your dream. Stop hiding your dream in the shadows. Stop burying that dream. Stop thinking, oh, my dream's too small or my dream's too big or someone's not gonna believe my dream or someone's gonna think I'm crazy. Don't be afraid to embrace your dream. Joseph, some people are like, oh, you know, he was, he was young and dumb. No, he was just filled with conviction that God had given him a dream. Why wouldn't he share that? Why wouldn't he declare it? Now, here's the thing. You just gotta be ready to face that dilemma. And you should expect it. And in the words of some famous rapper that I can't remember, haters gonna hate. So be ready. Because your dream is gonna face some dilemmas and that dilemma is gonna look like a hater. And they're gonna be pouring out the hater aid <laughs> on your dream. Joseph goes to his brothers and they're like, not only do we hate you, we hate everything about your dream. We don't think that any of that should happen, can happen, will happen. Not everyone's going to understand your dream. Let me just challenge you this. If your dream doesn't arouse some haters, your dream might be too small. Or you're not speaking it with enough conviction. Your dream is going to arouse some haters and they're going to pour the haterade on their dream. Now listen, it may come from your family. It may come from people close to you. These were his brothers, his parents, his support system. It may come from outside, but here's the thing. If that dream is from the Lord, you got to claim that dream, no matter what the dilemma, no matter what the hate they speak comes out. You're like, well, hate, that's tough. Well, here's how hate come to, comes out sometimes. Sometimes hate comes out a little condescending. Oh, that's a sweet dream. That's really sweet, honey. That's really sweet. I hope, I hope. And it just, oh, they're just choking the life out of your dream. So I dare you to hold on to your dream. Something should rise up in you when someone tries to throw cold water on your dream, when someone tries to throw cold water on what God's spoken into your heart and, and, and what God's given to you, something should rise up in you. And you should guard and protect and declare that God's given me a dream. And I don't know how it's going to look. And I don't, have, I don't have it all figured out. And yeah, I understand that you're just trying to say that this may be hard. You know, someone's going to come up to you and say, well, how are you going to pay for that? How's that going to work? What are you going to do? Why? Because haters are going to hate. You just smile, shake the haters off, and you move towards your dream. And you hold on to your dream. You know, there, I was thinking about some famous uh, overcomers of the haters. I wanted to walk you through a couple of them, see if you recognize these guys from the, from the last few years, maybe more than few. This guy was denied from film school entry twice, applied to film school, both times denied. His name, Steven Spielberg. He was cut from his high school basketball team. You may have heard of him, Michael Jordan. This guy wrote a children's book and tried to submit it to publishers. 27 different times he was rejected. Thanks, but no thanks, Dr. Seuss. 
27 times. This person was fired from a magazine where he wrote and worked because they said, you lack imagination and you have no good ideas. So here's your pink slip, Walt Disney. Haters going to hate. This guy was mute until age four. People thought he was mentally handicapped and would achieve nothing. Einstein. Einstein. <laughs> I love this one. He was fired from his job. They said, you're not productive enough. Thomas Edison. Told by record labels that no one was interested in their guitar-driven music. Beatles. People don't want that. How about this one? You might have his tech in your pocket. He's a college dropout, and he was fired as the tech executive from the company he co-founded. Thanks for your effort, Mr. Jobs. We'll take it from here, Steve. Why? Haters are going to hate. How you respond in a dilemma can determine whether you derail your dream. Tension's going to come. People are going to resist your dream. People are going to tell you from their expert position that you can't do what God's called you to do. Dream anyways. Believe anyways. Have faith anyways. If God's given you a dream, hold on to that dream. Here's what's crazy. His dilemma worsens from here. Many of you know the story. His, brother, his father had given him a fancy robe. His brothers hated him. They took his fancy robe. They decided they were going to kill him. Then they thought, nah, let's not kill him. That's kind of brutal. Let's fake his death. Then we'll throw him in a pit. Then they're like, ah, let's not leave him in a pit. Let's sell him to these slavers. And so he goes from favored brother, or son, I should say, never favored brother, favored son to brother to slave. Now he's sold into slavery, and he ends up at the home of a guy named Potiphar. And he becomes a house slave. Now, here's the thing. He's got a dream. And he doesn't know what God's going to do. So in the face of a dilemma, he just keeps believing that God can do whatever God says he's going to do. And so even though he finds himself as now a house slave, he works in such a way. His integrity is, is, is on display in such a way that Potiphar says, you know what I'm going to do? This guy's awesome. This Hebrew boy that's our slave, I'm going to put him in charge of the whole house. He goes from slave to in charge. He's still, he's still not where he wants to be, but in charge just like that. Why? Because he has a dream. And that dream allows him to keep moving in his integrity and moving in his character. His identity doesn't change because he faces a dilemma. He remains that same person. So then what happens? He overcomes the dilemma, and here comes a distraction. If a dilemma can't derail your dream, get ready for a distraction. Squirrel. Genesis chapter 39. If you're just following along, I'm jumping through the story, and you could read the in-between parts. Make sure I didn't make anything up. Genesis chapter 39, verse 6. I love this. I started here because I just love verse six. This is what I want written about me on my, ten, on my tombstone. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. That's awesome. I love that God had that kind of humor and mercy on Joseph because all the stuff he goes through, at least the scriptures take note. He was good looking. He was ripped. He's like, 
He's like, which way you want to go over there? <laughs> After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, we never meet Potiphar's wife by name. I heard one pastor say this. I thought it was hilarious. She's the first real housewife, real housewives of Egypt. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's appropriate, right? So Joseph's his house slave. He's in charge of the master's household. And after a while, she notices him. She's like, hey, how you doing? Verse eight says, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Listen to this. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. I want you to catch this, the power of distraction. He didn't just face a single distraction. This part of the story just leapt off the pages to me as I was studying. She went after him day after day after day. He is powerless in this situation. He is a slave. He has to do as commanded, but he is resisting with integrity, derailing his dream. He is resisting it, but it has not gone away after just one time resisting it. Let me bring this home. Some of you are facing distractions that does not go away after one time resisting it. You have to make a daily decision to resist that distraction, to not give your heart away, to not chase that relationship. Hey, I didn't chase that relationship. I shouldn't have chased today. Yay me. Guess what? Tomorrow's coming. I didn't look at that thing I shouldn't have looked at. I didn't go to that place. I didn't get my heart set on the, something that I shouldn't have let my heart get set on. I made it through today without doing that. Congratulations. Get ready for tomorrow because distraction is coming. Come on now, you know. It is a day after day after day. Hey, do you want to go to bed with me? No. Hey, do you want to go to bed with me? No. Hey, do you want to go to bed with me? No. Hey, do you want to go to bed with me? No. Do you want to go to bed with me? Do you want to go to bed with me? Do you want to go to bed with me? Do you want to go to bed with me? Do you want to go to bed with me? Do you want to go to bed with me? Do you want to go to bed with me? No. 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 That's how you handle distraction to protect your dream and your destiny. So Joseph, in the midst of what could have been an incredibly powerless situation, looks at a distraction that had the potential to derail his dream and he resists day after day after day. Some of us get sucked and locked in to distraction and the dream God has for us gets buried under the weight of that distraction. And we're just like, oh, I'll just do this for a while. I'll just chase this for a while. I want to go do my dream, but first I'm going to explore this relationship. I want, I'll return to the dream after I explore this opportunity, this financial thing, this work thing. I'll go back to the dream, but my friend just really needs me for this season. Ooh, distraction. Distraction is one of the enemy's greatest tools to derail your dreams. He will test your character. He will put temptation in front of you and see if you will chase it in lieu of the dream God's given you. Let's read the rest of that story. Where'd I stop? She was like, let's go to bed every day. Verse 11. 
He went, one day he went to his house to do his duties and none of the household servants were there. So she caught him by his cloak. This is the second cloak he's about to lose. Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. The first streaker recorded in history. <laughs> Joseph. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, she ran out of the house. She called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak and he ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home. And then she told him the story. That Hebrew came and brought, he made sport of me. And I screamed for help, he left his cloak. When the master heard the story of his wife, he said, this is how your slave treated me. And he burned with anger. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He does nothing wrong and he gets enslaved. He gets nothing wrong and he gets imprisoned. Now this is big boy prison, guys. This is where they put people accused of attempted rape. This isn't a small crime that he's been accused of. He's done nothing wrong. He's lost two cloaks and he's in prison. That's the power of walking through distraction. So he walks through the distraction. He remains faithful and he finds himself in what could only appear as a worse situation. And here comes the next thing that want to derail his dream. Here comes a delay. Some of you just feel tension looking at that picture. You just got angrier somewhere in your core. You're like, oh. And I got to be honest with you. You want to really derail my dreams? You bog me down in delay. You bog me down in delay. God, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's move. Let's shake. Let's do it. Let's put some feet on it. Let's make it happen. I'll light up at that. I love that. You say, ah, it's not time yet. What do you mean it's not time? What do you mean we can't do that now? What do we want? The dream. When do we want it? Now. Let's just do it. I'm in. Rah, go. I want to charge the gates. A delay will pull out your character. It'll pull on your heart. It'll force you to ask, do you really believe? So what happens to Joseph? Let's jump ahead, chapter 40 now. <clears throat> He's imprisoned. Now here's the thing about Joseph. Every step of the journey, because of the dream, he maintains his character. He maintains his integrity. He continues to behave as if he is the person God told him in a dream he could be. He begins to act as though he's someone who has authority, although he's someone who people will respect. He begins to move in that authority. It happens at Potiphar's house and he's in charge of the whole household. He goes into jail, into the prison system. And when we see him next, he's literally running things at the jail. The jailers have so been impressed with his character, his conduct, his behavior, and his competency, and who he remains, even though he's in this situation, that they put him in charge of day-to-day -day operations in the jail. The kind of character you have to be for the guards to say, here, you manage the keys. You manage the prisoners. You take care of things around here. I just want you to get a picture of that. And here he is, having overcome distraction, facing Delay. Now he's in the, what anyone would say, prime time of his life, 20s and 30s years old. This is when you want to be moving and shaking. You want to be doing things. And he is stuck in a delay. And so I'm going to kind of breeze us through the story. A couple of guys end up in prison with him, and he's given custody and responsibility for them. They have specific jobs. One is a cupbearer, and one is a baker. And both of them serve the king. 
Now, these are incredible jobs to get in Egypt, by the way. Baker for the king means you get to make all the cool food and eat all the cool food and taste all the cool food. That's a cool job. Cupbearer for the king, your full-time job is to drink the best wine in the nation. The kind of stuff that only the king drinks. And you're like, hmm, that's pretty good. Now, that job has one fatal flaw. The reason you're drinking that is just in case it's poisoned. But assuming it's not poisoned, best job. Worst retirement package. <laughs> so these two guys end up in prison. And Joseph's in charge of them. Verse 4 of chapter 40, it says, The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After the, they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream on the same night. How many dreams? Which is significant. And each of them had meaning of its own. So when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, hey, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. I love this. Joseph said, don't interpretations belong to God? Why don't you tell me your dreams? Joseph has no history of interpreting dreams up to this point, but he's like, hey, I have a God who can do anything. If you need help, I'm your guy. So they tell him his dream. And one of them, he's like, ah, your dream, kind of a bummer. I got bad news for you. Things are not going to end well. There's a whole sermon in there on how you handle telling people bad news. Someday we'll get there, right? Because it's one thing to tell people the truth when you got good news. How do you tell someone the truth when you got bad news? Hey, I know you're really passionate about this thing, but you're in violation of the word of God and something's not going to work out for you. And there's some consequences to that. And you got bad news, right? How do you handle that? Joseph goes through that. But let's look at the good news because that's what changes, pushes the story along. Chapter 40, verse 12. He says, hey, this is what your dream means. The three branches are three days, and within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up, and he'll lift up your head, and he'll restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all this goes well with you, I love this. He's like, so that's what's going to happen for you. And when that all happens, will you remember me and show me kindness and mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison? For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. And I love it because we never see Joseph's heart get bitter, but we do see him make a little, uh, hey, you guys, like, are you out there? Jesus, God, whatever, you know, can you help me out a little bit? And then we see him make a little move here to just try to get some attention. And then, and then it's amazing because it works out so well for him. It doesn't. Skip to verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Come on. Come on, man. I've interpreted your dream. I was good to you. You got out of prison. Life is good for you again, and you forgot me. Then it moves on. How long passes? Two more years. Two full years had passed, and then Pharaoh has a dream. And we can stop right there. Pharaoh's dream is the catalyst for the end of the story because then the cupbearer remembers. says, oh, ask Joseph, and it begins to change things. But there is a delay, and in that delay, for the first time, we see Joseph's heart. He's not just like, hey, this is awesome. He would love for it to be a different circumstance, 
But he is okay in the moment remaining faithful to the dream. You know, the favorite, my favorite quote from any preacher, I'm at summer camp, I'm about 13, 14, 14 years old, I think. And a guy who's dying of cancer, Butch Plummer, is preaching. He stands in front of about 200 high school students and puts his finger out like this. And he says, listen, you never doubt in the darkness what Jesus revealed to you in the light. You never doubt when things get tough, when things get hard, when there's a delay, when you're struggling, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, when you're in that season, you don't remove yourself from the promise of God that he spoke to you when you were in the light. You cling to that promise in those moments. Don't let those difficult times break you from those promises. How do you process delay? Do you get derailed or do you keep dreaming? Because here's the thing. Delay will test the foundation of your dream. What is your dream rooted in? What is it rooted in? Delay will test the foundation. And if that foundation isn't faith, you will give up on your dream in delay. What is faith? Faith is just believing that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do. That's faith. I just believe, God, you are who you said you are. You are who you've revealed yourself to be. This is you, God, and you, you can be known. You want to be known by us. We have a relationship. Faith is believing you are who you and that you'll do what you said you're gonna do. So delay forces me to ask that question. Do I still believe God will do what he said he's gonna do? It's a faith challenger. If you can't get distracted by the dilemma, by the tension, and if you don't, if you don't run after the distractions, then the next test of your dream is, can, can you hold on to it? When it doesn't happen in the timing and in the moment that you feel like it should? Or will you untether from faith and begin just trying to make moves on your own? Delay will do that. Is a little delay all it takes to kill your dreams? I dare you to dream again. I dare you to hold on to your dreams. What's amazing is out of this story, through all of this stuff, we finally get to see what Joseph's destiny actually is. I love when we get the payoff. And in Genesis chapter 41, 39, we, we see that Joseph is able to interpret the dream that Pharaoh has. And we find out he has a destiny. It's like, you have a destiny. And because he's able to interpret that dream, he's able to warn Pharaoh of a famine that's coming and give him God's advice on how to avoid a circumstance that could be catastrophic to the nation. And because of that wisdom, because of the leadership principles, here's what's interesting. Because of the leadership principles that were refined when he was in slavery, that were put to the test when he was imprisoned, because the character that was developed and the skills that he gained in that season, he was uniquely qualified to be promoted to a position of leadership in Pharaoh's kingdom. You see the process, sometimes we get angry in the process but we don't know what God's doing in us sometimes in the process. Verse 39 of chapter 41, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge, listen to this, of my palace. Every household he's in, he's in charge. 
And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger and he dressed him in robes. He finally gets a robe. This whole story, everybody's jacking his robe. Why? That robe didn't reflect the destiny that he was called to. This one did. He finally got to be dressed in the destiny that God intended for him. That's just good. You should, yeah, take that. That's free. And he put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And the men shouted before him, make way. And thus he was put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Now, I was trying to think about what a big deal it is to be put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And you have to get a little bit of historical perspective, okay? From basically 3100 BCE, when kind of the first pharaohs took over and the kingdom of Egypt established until Cleopatra at 30 BCE. So 3,070 years, give or take, Egypt is either the or one of the powerhouse nations on the planet. That's it. They're as powerful as any nation. Their military, their economy, their resources, they are a powerhouse nation. And so I was trying to think of what that would be like to go from a family of 70 and no nation, basically refugees. You know, it's, like, it's like if someone arrived on a raft at our shores from some other nation and they were enslaved and they were promoted from that slavery to the chief of staff of the United States to two, number two in command. That's the epic nature of this. Now, here's what could, you just have to, there's no way that the original dream, Joseph thought, oh, here's what God's doing. He's gonna put me in charge of the local superpower, right? His dream, he thought, was all about just authority in his family, authority over his family. But God's dream as he moved in that, was not just authority over his family, it was authority, come on now, over the largest nation on the earth. Why? Because God had a plan to save his family. And that was the path. I told you, 70 turned to 2 million because of Joseph. God protected them. And so the famine comes. And here comes the brothers. And here comes mom, or not mom, dad. And here comes the family. And you can read the story. And they end up bowing down to him. And he ends up in charge and he ends up taking care of them. And then we get to some unfinished business. You see, God does a dream in Joseph that's bigger than anything he could have ever imagined because he stayed faithful to the picture of the dream he had initially. And after all of that, the dream he had initially comes true, but it's bigger than even that. The impact is bigger than even that. But then something else happens. And this is a hard part to sometimes reaching into our dreams and into our destiny. Along the way, there is the potential that he has picked up some baggage. There's some people who have grieved him on this path, most specifically some family members. And so here's his family who have found themselves, in their minds, supernaturally under the authority of this brother they thought they got rid of. And they're thinking, oh no, what is he going to do with us? And he says, don't worry about it. And they're like, uh, okay, that's not what we would do. 
Well, then dad dies. And that inciting incident causes them to revisit, oh man, now that dad's dead, like we really did sell him into slavery. We really did do all that stuff. There is a pretty good chance he is no joke now. He is in charge of the fiercest military on the planet. Like we can, there's no witness protection to get away from this. We will be buried in one of these pyramids. And so they go to him, chapter 50, verse 15, and there is a discharge. There's a discharge. He's got to discharge some baggage. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and he pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Now, I love this because did he leave these instructions? <laughs> these guys haven't been very integrous the whole way through. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of God, of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to him, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And look at this, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Why? To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He doesn't even know how many lives. He's, he can't see two million in the future. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Sometimes along the way to our destiny, we pick up baggage baggage that other people tosses on us, baggage that other people throw on us, baggage that other people leave on us under no fault of our own. We're just trying to follow our dream. And we pick up that baggage. And Joseph ends his journey into his dream by saying, I'm not going to carry this baggage anymore. And here's why. Not because what you did was okay, but because God is still on the throne. And God used everything that happened in my life to bring us to this place. And that's an incredible testimony of the power and authority of God. And if God was able to use it, it's not my job to hold on to anything else anymore. Sometimes I struggle with the maturity that it must take to process that. The amount of time and the imprisonment and the things he had to carry. Sometimes the end of walking in our dream and in our destiny is having the courage to discharge the debt that others have placed in our, in our lives. So let me ask you this. How do you avoid getting derailed so that you can dream again? Will you find your dream? Some of you are still struggling. I'm like, Pastor Mike, I don't know what my dream is. <laughs> Maybe start by asking this question. Why do you want your dream? Do you have a dream that fits into God's purpose? I read a story, and it was a shocker, but... There was a, a megachurch pastor, he was speaking, and it was a conference, and afterwards, these pastors were coming up and talking to him, and one of them said, I just want a big church like you have. And that megachurch pastor looked at him and said, why do you want that? And he couldn't answer. He just assumed that that should be the goal. It wasn't God's goal, it was just what he thought success looked like. And sometimes I think we have a hard time capturing our dream because we have a picture of what we think success looks like and we haven't partnered with the Lord to see what the Lord would do. 
and our idea of success might, listen, there's no way that Joseph could know what God's idea of success looked like at the beginning of the story. There's no way. And it would be very easy for him along the way to say, man, God's idea of success is running this house as a slave and every day having to reject the, the woman who's trying to throw herself at me. That's what this dream is, God. And then he ends up in prison. And he goes, seriously, God's idea of success is now I'm running the prison? He could easily have said, man, this is not, but he had no picture of what God's idea of success is because then he's in the palace. Come on, he went from Potiphar to the prison to the palace. I'll give you some peas now, come on. (laughs) And you may not know how your dream looks when it's in the palace phase right now. You may not know that. But if it's in the plan, if it's in the plan, you can go through Potiphar's. You can make it through the prison and you can end up in the palace. Don't get derailed, keep dreaming. So that's my challenge for you. Have a dream. Have a dream. And if you have a dream, be ready for a dilemma. Be ready for the haters to hate. Be ready for the tension. Be ready for something to come and try to derail your dream. Be ready for circumstances that are outside of your control. Be ready for the stock market to fail. Be ready for the housing market to fail. Be ready for a medical issue that seems to make things not work. Be ready for whatever the dilemma is. Be ready. But have the courage to keep declaring your dream. Keep holding on to that promise. Keep saying, but this is what God has spoken. This is what God will do. This is what God's going to happen. And then, hey, if you push through those dilemmas, be ready for distraction. Some of us are in the distraction phase. Some of us are in the distraction phase right now. You're holding on to something else, and it's derailing your dream. And you're escaping dealing with the reality of your situation to move into your dream by moving into whatever the distraction is. I dare you to do better. I dare you to say no. I dare you to wake up every morning, look that distraction in the eye and say no. Ah, here's the distraction. No. Here's a, ah, no. Ah, no. I want that voice in your head. No. Just like, come on, you guys have kids and they try to reach the hot stove. And you're like, ah, no. Stop. Don't do it. You're like, oh, I love the stove. And you keep touching it. You're trading your dream away. Stop touching the stove. Move out of that distraction. Some of you have been in the distraction for a while and you're like, I, don't, I think I've discredited myself from another dream. I can tell you this, that's nonsense. According to the word of God. You don't understand. It's already done all this damage. Okay. Okay. It's time to move from that distraction back into the dream. My God's mercies are new every morning. When you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The miracle of the cross is I don't have to be who I've always been. God's called me to more. He wants to pull your identity out. He's going to use. Come on, you're going to have to discharge. You're going to be in the discharge group. You're going to have to let go of some baggage and deal with some stuff. But you can move out of that distraction and into your dream. Some of you have been struggling with the delay. You're just like, come on. When is it going to happen? If it happened right now, you take running the prison as success. Because you don't have the big picture. Don't stop there. Just keep being faithful. Maybe it doesn't look like what you thought the dream would look like today. Joseph, his dream never looked like what he thought it would look like. It was better. And it was bigger. And in that delay, God's pulling 
Come on. He's pulling on your heart to say, keep it rooted to me. Stay grounded in faith. Continue to believe that I am who I said I am, and I'll do what I said I'll do. And some of us are in the discharge phase. We're like, I'm moving in my dream, but man, it's heavier than I thought it was going to be. There's weight that's there because, and it's not even my weight. It's the weight because I had to walk through this and this was broken and this person did this and these things happened and you're just in the discharge phase and it's robbing the joy of your dream. I don't know how to get you there except to tell you with God's grace, you can do it. You can believe that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he can do and he can take absolutely everything that you've been through. And if you trust him, he can use it to elevate you and promote you into your dream, into your destiny beyond your wildest dreams. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray and we're going to close. And I'm just, I'm just here today to tell you it's a new year, it's a new day, and I dare you. I dare you to dream. I dare you to believe. And here's, here's my dream. My dream is if we as a body could believe that God's given you a dream and we can begin unleashing those dreams, what a difference would that make in your family, in our family, in this community, if we started moving in our dreams and holding on to our destiny of who God's called us to be. So God, I thank you so much for every soul here and for the destiny and the dream that you can, you can and you will place in our lives, for the identity that we have in you. And I pray, God, that you would, we would just be, God, moved to dream again. Would you move us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Those of us whose dream has been dormant, would you move us to dream again? Would you stir, those of us looking for a dream, would you stir a dream in our hearts? Those of us whose circumstances have derailed our dream, God, would we move through those circumstances? Would you, God, move us in a way that we would, instead of letting the dilemma derail our dream, it would instead, it would anchor us. God, I pray for those of us battling distractions. I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus. I pray you would break every chain. I pray, you, I pray you would break chains of addiction. I pray you'd break cycles of, of behavior. I pray you would, you would restore, you would revive, you would renew. I pray supernaturally. I understand that it's a process and we get up every day and say no, but the power of God, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. There is nothing impossible for him who believes. Would you break it, I pray in the name of Jesus. Those of us in delay <laughs> waiting for you to do what you, only you can do, God, I pray, God, you would anchor us to the hope and faith that is you. And as we discharge the debt that others have given to us, we just move in freedom, believing nothing is impossible for him who believes. Empower and inspire a generation of dreamers in the name of Jesus. Amen.